Welcome to the M121 podcast. I'm Josh Coker, and today we're talking about singing and hymns and hymnals. And I've got uh, Bryce Lowrance with me. He's the pastor of the Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. He's a retired public school choir director with over 20 years of experience. Um, he teaches singing schools across the country. He's written a book called Everyone Can Sing, and it's uh, being used to teach singing schools uh, not only in the United States, also in the Philippines. He's, it's used in many homeschool families and many co-ops across the country, so excited to have Bryce with us today. Brother Bryce, how are you? Doing well, brother. It's such a blessing to be able to talk to you today. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I had uh, Ben Cordes, it has been the last two episodes that have aired, and he moved from Alabama to Kentucky, and we talked about the biggest difference between the obsession with football in Alabama and basketball <laughs> in Kentucky. You moved from Texas recently to Georgia, right? Yes, sir. We moved here about a little over two years ago. So what's the biggest difference between Texas and Georgia? Well, um, I don't know if I'm a good judge of that because we lived in the city the whole time that we were in Texas, and um, now we live out in rural Walton County, Georgia, and um, trying to do a little farming, and I'm learning from my neighbors how to run some cows and stuff like that. So it's a it's a completely different life, um, but um, – being out of the big city, I, I think folks are, are a lot nicer, and it's a truly a blessed here, and the, the church here is just wonderful as well. It is, and if you're ever in that area, visit the good folks at Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church. You'll be glad that you did. So we brought Brother Bryce on today to talk about uh, singing, particularly hymns, and the new Old School Hymnal Edition that's been released, and we'll get into that as we dive into the topic. But Brother Bryce, for those listening I'm sure many are very familiar with hymns, but could you describe to us what is a hymn? Well, it's um, depending upon what dictionary you look in, you can get a, a bunch of different definitions of it, but it's um, basically defined as a religious or an ode to something. Um, and when we're talking about hymns, we're talking about a song about God and about His attributes, about um, uh, what He has done, how, how wonderful and great he is. We talk about the salvation that is in Jesus Christ and that and the benefits of the church and to God's people. So it's, it's a song about the work of God, uh, and in particular about how he interacts with our lives. We live in, a, in, an, in an age, I guess, of contemporary Christian music. And I was, I was at a Casting Crowns concert, which I love Casting Crowns. I've been to several of their concerts, and they 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 usually ask the question about who still attends a church that you know that has a hymnal that sings from a book. Um, if, if maybe we talk about that for a minute, uh, this perception that are all hymns old or what? I want to talk some about what you're doing as well about some of the newer hymns that are being released. So if you could talk to us about that for a minute, go ahead. Well, certainly there. Um, when people decide what is a religious song or or a hymn or something like that, then. Um, like I said, you can have lots of definitions by lots of different people, but the, the Bible defines it for us in Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3 that there are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, when the Apostle Paul writes that, he is telling us that there's a variety of different uh, styles of music and songs that we can sing, but um, hymns have is what they're all generally called. And to be honest, all hymns were new at one time. Um, as a matter of fact, most of the hymns that people would consider old today really only date back to the 19th century, and that's really not that old, considering the, the right. church has been around for, for 2,000 years. 
That's right. So the traditional service is really just about you're singing songs that are about 100 years old, I guess. Yeah, generally, or even less than that. Many of the most popular hymns that are used in not just primitive Baptist churches, but uh, most Bible-based churches, those those songs were written in the very late 1800s or early 1900s, and so they're they're barely over 100 years old. Right. Well, you mentioned primitive Baptist, and uh, this is a primitive Baptist podcast, but we've been blessed just in recent years to have a lot of newer hymns introduced in our churches, and so uh, maybe talk a little bit about how that has taken place and and how that's how that's working out itself out. Um, and you've been a big part of that. Well, it's um, it's a long story that I'll try to make it somewhat brief. Um, you, you know that uh, the the publication of hymnals um, has been a, a variety of different ways, and through the 19th century, many primitive Baptist churches were were quite poor, and so. There were only one or two folks that may have owned a hymnal, and it was just the words, and they would line them out where the the pastor or a song leader would sing a phrase, and then the congregation would answer, um, um, singing um, mostly in unison, maybe a little bit of harmony added in. And they were those hymnals probably had several hundred, maybe even a thousand hymns in them, and so lots of doctrine was being sung. Um, the move toward printing hymnals with um, music in them, the, meaning there's music that you can read with the soprano part and the various harmony parts, that um, started limiting the number of hymns that were in a hymnal just because of the bulk of the book. And um, the what I like about um, Old Baptist or Primitive Baptist hymn singing is we have been very reluctant to accept anything new. Um, and I like that because... Um, if there's a new idea out there, it's probably not a correct idea. Um, it probably didn't come from the Bible. Right. And so um, the old the old hymns and the beauty of the language of them is certainly there. Now, I will say this. In doing some research on a previous hymnal that I helped publish, the Primitive Baptist Hymnal, we found that during the 19th century, um, for instance, there were very few hymns about the return of Jesus Christ and about resurrection morning. There were some there, and we had some hymns that um, spoke to that, maybe one or two verses in them. But as far as having hymns that were about the resurrection, when we started printing hymnals with music in them, those hymns kind of fell by the wayside and were replaced with hymns of going home to God through uh, in death and um, um, the, the joys of heaven to look forward to which really fits the, the American experience of that time because the mortality rate was so poor um, that families had losses all of the time, and so the hymns needed to reflect that. Um, and so there was a, a lacking of those things, and that's one of the things that's coming back in is we're having more people looking forward to the resurrection, the return of Jesus Christ, and so more hymns are being written like that. That's, that's very interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that. You said there's uh, lots of doctrine was being sung. What, what makes a good hymn? Well, and that's really how I define it, and I think how the Bible defines it. When Paul said psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he wasn't talking about what, um, I'm going to be honest with you, and this may offend some, but um, it gets the point across. Um, there is a, a practice that I call a 7 song. It's the same seven words sung 11 times over, and there's just not much there. Um, and the, the, the thing that makes a good hymn and a biblical hymn is if it's doctrinal. In the Colossian letter, Paul says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, and then he talks about singing. 
So that means that our songs should be filled with the words of Christ or the words of the Bible. If you can't recognize um, the Bible in the song that you're singing, you might not have to sing that song in worship because it's not the words of Christ that are being reinforced in us. Um, when I have uh, composers submit hymns to me for consideration and publication, um, uh, I ask them to send the corresponding scripture references as well. And if they don't have any scripture references, then I, I just as politely as I can say, give it another try because we want to sing the Bible. And um, that's that's the basis for things is, um, well, the main difference between instrumental music and vocal music is the words. And so the content of our hymns needs to focus on the words first and foremost. Very, very true. Um, if, if you're going into writing a hymn and you've written several, um, what, what, what do you look for? I know you look for scripture, but as far as like ease of, of singing or the complication, uh, you know, some, some hymns are very complicated to sing. What do you look for when you're writing a hymn? Well, I, I will be honest with you. I have written some hymns that are extremely difficult to sing. Um, and, but there are congregations that can sing those. And, um, but I've also written some, some more simple ones. What I've encouraged, um, those that I've, uh, I've gotten to over the past five or six years, got to work with several, uh, young and older composers of hymns, and I encourage them, first of all, like I said, to focus on doctrinal lyrics and, and the beauty of the poetry. Um, and what's awesome is the King James Bible sings very, very well. There's um, very little that has to be changed just to make a few rhymes, and then it flows very well. And then I encourage them to write a melody that is melodic and singable, um, not just limited in range and uh, it needs to fit the character of the lyrics. If it is a, a mournful portion of Scripture, then the melody needs to have some mournful sounds to it. If it's joyful, then it needs to be a joyful and upbeat melody. Um, now, when I tell them that it needs to be melodic and singable, I don't mean that, has, that it has to be simple, and I don't want it to be overly difficult. What I'm looking for and is a melody that can stand alone without any harmony, and it's just a gorgeous sound so that any congregation can sing it, whether it's a congregation that, that can sing four-part harmony or a congregation that can only sing melody. I want um, hymns available to them that are uh, beautiful in character, where the music reinforces the words and adds to the, to the passion and meaning of the words. And then the harmony should enhance the melody. It shouldn't take away from uh, what's happening in the melody, because the melody and the words should be the predominant part. Right. You mentioned having songs that everyone can sing. One thing that I love about hymns and, and the way that, that your church, my church, uh, the, the way we conduct our worship service with a simple time of, of singing, um, it, it allows everyone to participate. A lot of churches today, if you're in the congregation, you're, you're being sung to. You're not really singing with. You're not, uh, you're not singing and making melody in your heart with each other. So uh, would right. you say hymns, hymns allow everyone to participate in the worship of God? Yes, sir. Um, to, to quote completely uh, Paul's teaching in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If everyone is not singing, then that scripture is not fulfilled. Um, I have a, a story that um, about a man that was probably one of my best friends. He was a World War II veteran. And uh, his name was Brother Venus Walker. Uh, Sylvanus was his first name. 
and um, he was a very loving man. He was a member of the, the church where I first started trying to, to preach to the Lord's people, and Brother Venus uh, loved the Lord deeply. He was uh, deeply devoted and everything, but as they say, Brother Venus couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Um, he would sit about three pews behind us and uh, just sing to uh, at the top of his lungs and um, not matching any of the pitches. I'm, I mean, not even just accidentally hitting one every once in a while. And um, sometimes my choir director background would get a little frustrated with it, and in my mind I'm, I'm just thinking I wish he'd just back off a little bit so we can hear all the beautiful singing that's going on in the room. Well, after several years of that, um, Brother Venus being an elderly gentleman, he, he passed away. And um, I preached his funeral later in that week, and then that next Sunday, when we're singing, I'm sorry, I, I, I tear up every time I tell this story, I missed that out-of-tune voice. Right. Because he taught me and he admonished me that it's not about what I like to hear, and it's not a lot about what type of music I want to hear. He was teaching me and admonishing me that we all should give every effort we can, regardless of our ability to sing praises to God. Very good. I think that illustrates uh, illustrates the point that I was getting at that that everyone can participate, and and it also um, you know illustrates how important we are to each other. Um, yes. I, I know. I know I would frustrate you very much, Brother Bryce, if you had to listen to me every <laughs> Sunday. But uh, I pray that uh, at least the folks at church are glad I'm there, whether I can carry it soon or not. Um, how important? Well, what, what helps me? What helps me is many of my years of teaching was middle school boys choirs, and so I'm used to out of tune singing and just <laughs> enjoying the effort of helping people learn learn to sing. And that's the reason I encourage folks to either have a singing school in their home church or attend a singing school because. Like the title of my book says, everyone can sing. We're not going to be opera stars, and we certainly don't want that. But I want to help folks learn to improve that ability. I think that's a noble that's a noble effort. Um, you know, congregational singing. I just want to I just want you to talk before we transition into talking about the old school hymnal that's been released. Talk about the importance of congregational singing because what what I've noticed over my time in the church is that there is a great focus on the preaching of the word, as there should be. Uh, that's a very important part of the worship service. And sometimes I think we take for granted uh, maybe the portion of time where we meet as a congregation to worship God through song. So could you talk about the importance of that that aspect of worship? Sure. Um, well, well, first of all, I, I agree with you. Many kind of have the idea that that the song service is a, war, a warm-up to the preaching time, um, and that's very far from the truth. Um as a matter of fact, we have a tremendous blessing in having a cappella congregational singing, and that is everybody gets to participate in church. It's not just a, a concert or something that you go to. But in particular, um, we go to the, the Word of God, and in Psalm 22, verse 22, David writes this in prophecy, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. So there is a promise that Jesus Christ would be in the midst of the church or congregation, and he would praise his Father. The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 12, um, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, quotes this and says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. The Hebrew letter tells us that praising God at least involves singing. Now, if it at least involves singing, then 
in order to praise God, we have to be singing. It is an absolutely vital part of worshiping God and praising Him. The Bible is filled with those statements of praising God, and that includes singing praises to God. Incidentally, we only uh, have one record of our Savior singing. Um, When it was fulfilled by Jesus, um, after they had communion and a foot washing, and they left um, the house to go out into the Mount of Olives. We have record that in the midst of the congregation, or in the midst of the church, uh, Jesus, our Savior, sang, and obviously it was a cappella because they were walking outside. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I recently had a conversation with a man who had uh, he had, he had grown up in, you know, with with musical instruments and and all the things that you will see in a lot of churches. Uh, throughout the world, and he had recently visited a primitive Baptist church, and he said his first thought as he walked in were, you know, where's the choir? Where's the where where are the, all the musical instruments? But he said as they began to sing, as they excuse me, as they began to sing, uh, he thought to himself, what have I been missing all my life? Um, you talked a little bit there about a cappella. Uh, you know, as as primitive Baptists, we try to follow the regulative principle of worship, if it's not regulated in the Bible, if it's not prescribed in the Bible, uh, we, we try not to do it, right? And that so that does affect how we sing to each other. Could you just talk about a cappella, why we sing a cappella for just a moment? Sure. Well, from a, a musical history standpoint, I think most folks would be shocked um, as to how new the practice of using musical instruments of any kind is in any denomination of Christianity. Um, uh, in the earliest churches, everything was a cappella. By the way, the word a cappella means as in church. Um, that's, that's what the, the, the Latin word means. And the first uh, attempt to introduce a musical instrument was an organ, and <laughs> it didn't go over very well. First of all, it was in the year 666 A.D. Um, so not it's a, a good bad sign. To, <laughs> no, not a good sign. It's a bad number to start with, and it's uh, over 600 years too late to be a New Testament practice, and it was also being introduced, I believe, by either a pope or a bishop or someone that had been imp- appointed by a heathen king, and it was not, incidentally, among uh, Baptistic churches. It was among the, the more majority church of the, of, of, of the Roman Catholics. Um, the, the next time that musical instruments were attempted to be introduced was in um, about 1100 A.D., so we're over a thousand years after the apostles, um, where musical instruments um, gain a little bit of ground, um, and, and then once again it was only amongst the um, Roman Catholic tradition. But then even after that, the reformers of the the Catholic Church, uh, just about to a person, including Luther and Calvin and, and many others, um, they said we need to get these musical instruments back out of worship. That the New Testament pattern is is an a cappella one. Um, and then, the, just to skip forward uh, for a few years, uh, for brevity's sake, um, it took another two or three hundred years for them to gain acceptance um, in uh, Roman Catholicism. They still didn't gain acceptance in anything outside of that. Amongst Baptist churches, um, they really didn't even gain acceptance until the very late 1900s and early, um, uh, excuse me, very late 1800s, in the early 20th century, um, but it was probably not until 1920, 1930 that uh, Baptist churches of um, that would be the missionary Baptist or um, um, uh, independent Baptist groups were 
and Southern Baptists started using musical instruments, and then it was only a piano, and everything else just slowly got introduced after that. All the while, Primitive Baptists were going along just trying to do the same tradition. I will mention this, um, that those two scriptures that we've talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, if you were to compare the Apostle Paul's wording in those two scriptures with the titles given to many of the the Psalms of David, um, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul, who was definitely a student of Scripture and knew the Psalms well, words those instructions um, of singing exactly like David did. Let me give you an example. David would say, sing this Psalm, it was a Psalm of David, and on this particular occasion, using this musical instrument, this group is going to do it using this scale, using this melody, and was very, very specific to five or six different criteria. Um, The Apostle Paul uses that exact same language, and he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you, the entire church, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, meaning it's not just the psalms of David. We're allowed to sing other things uh, about God. If we weren't, then we couldn't sing anything out of the New Testament. And then he says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Um, what he is talking about, and the wording in Ephesians chapter 5, is making melody in your heart to the Lord. In the terms of what is meant by making melody, that would be an accompanying instrument. Um, so the Apostle Paul says, have the, the accompanying instrument be the melody that's in your heart. So Paul does give in direct instruction for a cappella singing, and that's the reason we do it. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. I think people would be surprised, as you said, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and even Baptists, if they could read uh, some of the quotes from Spurgeon or Calvin or Luther. Uh, definitely is not something that the church traditionally has has given into it's musical no. instruments. Um, well, let's transition now to talk about the centennial edition of the old school hymnal. And for me, uh, growing up, that was the only hymnal I'd ever I'd ever seen was an old school hymnal. To me, a hymnal is the old school hymnal. And um, I know you, you've put a lot of work in with, with several others uh, to produce a new uh, edition of that. But if you could just give us the history kind of of the old school hymnal, we'll, we'll start that way. Sure. Um, well, in the, the early 1900s, there had been a couple of uh, attempts by um, different primitive Baptists to produce um, some hymnals that had good doctrinal uh, lyrics in them, and but to also start including um, printed music where there was um, things for the congregation to read the music as well and possibly sing parts. Um, we know that the good old songs was published about that same time. But in the early 1900s, um, Elder Lee Han- Hanks, and with the help of Elder Z. C. Hull, um, uh, first tried to put together... Um, the old school hymnal number one. They didn't call it the number one. It was just the old school hymnal. And we think the first publication was about 1920. Um, uh, Very shortly after that, Elder R.H. Pittman, a very well-respected man among primitive Baptist history, and Elder J.A. Monsies um, joined with them in the early 1920s, and those two men um, pretty much took over uh, publication of the hymnal with Elder Lee Hanks' Blessing, and the fourth edition uh, was also published in the early 1920s. They didn't have dates on many of those, so we just kind of had to guess. Elder uh, John Harvey Daly, um, uh, who had previously published some um, uh, uh, with his 
relative John, uh, excuse me, J. Harvey Daly, uh, had some previous public experience with um, John R. Daly. They had published the Primitive Baptist hymnals, old black hymnal, um, a black-bound hymnal that um, was an excellent book, and it had a variety of different kinds of songs in there. He brought his experience over to Elder Monsies and joined them for the fifth and sixth editions. Um, and then the seventh edition, um, Elder Monsies and Elder Pittman published that one. Then in, that would have been the 1930s. So there were lots of different printings that happened from the early 20s throughout the 1930s. And those different editions had uh, different numbers on them because the content changed a little bit. The order pretty much changed the same, but they kept adding hymns. Um, Elder Monsies published the 8th edition, and he called it the wartime edition, um, in 1945, I believe it was, in the middle of the of World War II. And then um, he published the Our Little Hymnal, number one, um, by himself. And this was a delightful uh, little book that truly reflects the innovation that Elder Monsies brought to the hymnal. And by innovation, I don't mean that um, he thought old hymns were bad. Um, he included many, many old hymns in, in all of the old school hymnals. But um, this Our Little Hymnal, he brought in uh, many of his new compositions, which were doctrinally sound and had very enjoyable to sing uh, melodies and helped you remember the Bible very well. And he published that. And uh, from that point on, the old school hymnal um well, even before that, the old school hymnal had been the, the primary book among primitive Baptists where um, new uh, compositions among uh, by living primitive Baptist composers were being used. Um, as Elder Monsies got older, um, uh, in the number nine edition, there were um, several men, Elder uh, Elsie Spear and uh, Roland Green and, and, and many others uh, throughout from the 1950s and on into the, the 2000s, there were different groups of uh, um, Old School Hymnal Corporation that published the, the numbers 9 through 12, all kind of following that same pattern of keeping the, the old, high-quality hymns and bringing in uh, new music by living Primitive Baptist composers and some other hymns that were doctrinally sound from those outside the Primitive Baptist faith. Yeah, I grew up on the number 11, and the first time I visited the church that I now pastor, they have the number 12, and I wasn't sure the church was in order, but um, it was. Uh, <laughs> I've learned to love that one as well. How did you get involved with the old school hymnal? Well, the, um, it's, uh, it's a mixed story, um, because I, I'd already had some previous work in hymnals. Um, the, the first book that I actually tried to work on was for Louisville Primitive Baptist Fellowship, even before it was Louisville Primitive Baptist Church back in Texas. Uh, it was the church that I was ordained in. Um, we had a very young congregation, and um, we didn't have any hymnals, and but we had a collection of songs that we liked to do. And my music background, I, I had the tools with Finale mu uh, Music Notation software, so I put together a little book actually called uh, Songs of Zion. was the first book that I worked on. Um, then after that, um, the larger um, uh, Primitive Baptist hymnal, many people recognize it as the Blue Book. Um, I helped um, edit and publish that in the early 2000s. But coming up to where we are right now, um, in the, I believe it was the summer of 2017, um, I was teaching a uh, singing school there in Alabama, and 
um, called the administrators of it and said, hey, I would like to to teach a, um, a class in songwriting. I said, we we have some talented folks that I, I think they, they need to be encouraged to be writing some some lyrics and some um, music and, and things to go along with it so that we have some hymns from their generation. Well, we met that summer, and several composers um, showed up with already finished hymns that just needed a little bit of cleaning up. And so um, I realized that um, we had an excellent uh, source of new material that were extremely doctrinally sound. I mean, I tell you, some of these uh, young folks, when they would give me a hymn and I asked for their list of of scripture references, you had to turn the piece of paper over because the back of the paper was filled with scripture references that they'd used. Just absolutely wonderful. And so seeing all that, I approached Elder Tim McCool, um, with whom I had uh, co-written a few hymns, and we decided to produce the Songs of Zion hymnal, a short hymnal less than 80 uh, 80 hymns uh, that contain many of the new hymns by living primitive Baptist composers, as well as other solid doctrinal hymns um, that were new to PB churches. And so we we had that innovative spirit that Elder Monsey's had, um, and we were kind of going it alone. At about that same time, um, I had a private meeting with Elder Wayne Peters, who was the president of the Old School Hymnal Company at that time, and uh, he talked to me um, some about the future of the Old School Hymnal. Nothing was really um, decided at that time, but we just had a good meeting about the history of that hymnal and, and my history of, amongst primitive Baptists and hymn writing and, and hymnal publishing. Then again, in uh, 2019, um, Elder Peters approached me again and asked if I would consider uh, talking with the hymnal board um, about joining on with the old school hymnal. And we were able to have um, a sit-down meeting with uh, just about everyone there um, in, uh, I believe it was the fall of 2019. And uh, there was talk about reforming the board and making it a nonprofit organization or foundation and um, uh, p- publishing a new uh, 13th edition. Um, in that fall of 2019, Elder Tim McCool and I were asked to join uh, the Old School Hymnal Foundation board, and so we went back to the Songs of Zion board, and they thought it was an excellent partnership, um, since the Old School Hymnal was had the same mind that we did of of good, sound, older hymns paired with very high-quality new doctrinal hymns, and so um, that's kind of how we all came together. Very good. So tell us about the, um, I noticed you said the number 13, but you call it the centennial edition, probably a better, <laughs> speaking of bad numbers, that's probably a better uh, a better name for the, the, the new edition. But tell us about the centennial edition of the old school hymnal. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, well, a um, uh, little story about that is I, I typically don't have uh, ulterior motives in anything that I, that I present. I'm not really that smart. And so if somebody thinks an ulterior motive, they're thinking very highly of me because my brain doesn't work that way. Um, but in particular, coming up to that meeting in the fall of 2019, um, uh, I knew nobody liked the sound of a number 13. Even though we're not superstitious, it just sounded weird. And so we had been meeting for about an hour or so, and, and people kept gritting their teeth calling it the number 13. So I pulled a little um, ace out of my sleeve, and I said, well, you know, the first book was probably published in 1920, and so we're going we're gonna to do this about 100 years later. Why don't we call it the Centennial Edition? And uh, they all jumped on that idea. My ulterior motive is I set them up when they decided to do it that way, that we had to publish the book in one year. 
Um, so that <laughs> that made it for pretty fast in in um, choosing things and and getting things to print. So, but uh, they did a pretty good job in it. As far as the book is, I really really like this book. Um, um, of the many hymnals that are in print, uh, the old school hymnal Centennial Edition provides probably the largest variety of musical styles um, and uh, settings of, of different moods and a variety of, um, of, of scripture and um, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so there are certainly songs for all preferences of folks. And what we try to also do is include songs that um, possibly had the same message, but come at that message from a couple of different perspectives, depending upon the mood or need of the congregation or the pastor at that time. Well, I've been in worship and, and used the hymnal once and really enjoyed that. And then I also have my own copy and I can say it, it's uh, it's, it's good work. Y'all did very good work on that. What's the process like for, for deciding what, what hymns stay and what new hymns are added? Kind of run us through that. Um, well, that, that, that is probably one of the most difficult processes to do. Um, you know, I mentioned that there were 12 previous editions to the old school hymnal. Um, in that also there was the Our Little Hymnal number one and the Our Little Hymnal number two. And so there has been a large number of, of hymns to consider over the past 100 years. And when we looked at um, uh, publishing the Centennial Edition, we looked at the number 12, and it had 610 hymns in it. And I knew sitting on my, my desk at home, I had over 75 new hymns um, from uh, living composers, as well as probably well over 100 other quality hymns from other uh, Primitive Baptist hymnals and other sources. And so to combine all of that together, it would have been over 800 hymns and way too bulky. The number 12 was already heavy. Um, and so to try to pare down the, the process, it took a while. Um, to be honest, I thought I would use technology. And since we were dealing with the, the pan, uh, pandemic was about to start, um, we, we knew we weren't going to get to meet in person. So I set up a bunch of Google Form questionnaires about um, hymns that uh, we could consider removing um, and then publishing the uh, Centennial with the remainder and the new stuff. Well, after about three or four months of that, I think we had cut three hymns. And <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I knew something wasn't going to work. Um, we thankfully were able to get a meeting together, and in that meeting together, um, uh, I was able to show them and play for them some recordings of some of the new hymns. And once the, the board members saw the high quality, um, I mean, but it was it was so moving. Many of the elders were, were crying as they were holding this music in their hands, as to as to how wonderful these hymns were. And so they said, "We have to have these hymns." And very quickly, um, it became clear as to what hymnal hymns we could uh, possibly remove because they're not used very much, or, um, or or if at all, there are actually some hymns that we couldn't find any record of anybody uh, singing them very much, um, even though they were good hymns. But um, Ultimately, what we came up with, Elder Tim McCool um, calls it the, the greatest hits album, or, or the best from the previous old school publications and other hymnals in use, and as well as the new stuff, and um, that's probably the best way to explain it. What's what's the biggest difference between this this hymnal and, and the the ones that have been produced before? Well, um, uh, the. The history of the old school hymnal, as I said, was basically just um, 
an adding of hymns to previous editions, but that didn't mean that it never changed. Um, uh, hymnals uh, numbers one through three were basically the same hymnal, but there were actually some hymns removed from those and replaced with some other songs. The number four uh, hymn, uh, old school hymnal saw some very substantial changes. Huge changes were made in the number seven as far as the content of the book and the order of which they were. Number nine saw some same things. Uh, the most sweeping changes took place in the number 10, of course, when you had a, a, a group of, of men that came together and, and really um, sought to produce a good quality hymnal, which they did. And then from the number 10 to the number 12, it started the same pattern of basically the same book with songs added toward the end. Um, as I mentioned to you, if we had continued with that process, then we would have had a, an absolutely um, unholdable hymnal. It would just be so heavy. And so when removing all of those songs and bringing in new stuff, um, we knew we were going to be changing the order of the book. Um, and so I promised the board and everybody else that was asking about it that Amazing Grace to the tune of New Britain is still number 154. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so you can still find Amazing Grace, and the bulk of the PB standard repertoire and favorites, it's still in there. It's just with different numbers. What we did in this is the, the hymnal is not necessarily categorized, but if there were hymns with similar content, like the, the uh, close to the same message, we tried to group those hymns close together, like songs that deal with um, creation. We tried to put those in the same basic area of the hymnal. Songs that dealt with um, elements of communion, we tried to put those in the same area. Um, the Sacred Harp uh, uh, hymns, we put those in the same area toward the, ba toward the back. And so the content is the, the same. It's just been reordered to try to help with the flow of worship a little bit. Very good. Um, I know you have a new website for the Old School Hymnal. It's uh, oldschoolhymnal.com. What, what resources are available through the website? Well, I tell you, um, we uh, were approached by Brother Chris and Sister Melissa Taylor at, at Camp Creek Church here in Georgia, and they produce um, uh, websites for, for different companies and things like that. And uh, they brought uh, a package to us of things that they could offer, and it was just absolutely outstanding. I was, I was floored with the ideas that um, they had and Sister Melissa's simple but elegant design. One of the, the main things that I just really, really like is uh, Brother Chris used a database of, of lyrics that we produced um, at the, when we were done with the hymnal. He has taken that database, and it is online. And so there's a search engine on there. And if you can only remember a, a couple of words from a hymn, you can put that in there, and it will search every um, word of every hymn in the old school hymnal and return the possibilities for that. And so if you can only remember half of the second verse or something like that, it can find it for you, and it's, it's pretty amazing. It's really cool. Um, yeah. We also are working to provide vocal demonstration tracks of every hymn, um, as well as practice tracks for each vocal part. Now, given the fact that there's 502 hymns, that's, that's going to be an ongoing process for a few years. Um, so, but we are, um, the hymns that we already have a good recording of a congregation singing it, um, or we had, uh, some of the hymns from the songs of Zion hymnal or brother Matthew Arnold had recorded some, some demonstration tracks for us. So we have, um, probably over 200 hymns out there that have at least a demonstration of the first verse for you. And, um, we have some folks that 
through the use of technology, have been sending me um, um, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass tracks, and I've been putting together practice tracks for each of the hymns as well. Very cool. Well, that's, that's once again, that is oldschoolhymnal.com if you want to check it out. That's, is that where you would order, if somebody wanted to order the hymnal, if an if a individual or churches wanted to order the hymnal, where would they do that? It, it'd be best to do it through that website. Um, the uh, market that's on there is just absolutely outstanding as well. Um, you order online through the website. It's fully automated. It calculates the taxes and shipping that you have, and you can even pay online through various ways. Or if you're um, more inclined to want to do it in person, um, you can call Brother Rodney Chandler. He handles our inventory, or you can um, call me or email either one of us, and um, we can help you out with your order and pay by check. And um, also, if um, I mean, the shipping cost is, is something that's substantial sometimes, and if you happen to be traveling through Georgia, you can say, hey, I'm going to be there such and such weekend. We can save you on the shipping and meet you someplace with with the boxes of hymnals. Very good. So that's oldschoolhymnal.com and you can get in touch with them through the through the website if you need to. I want to talk yes, to you sir. a little bit about the the new CD that's being released from the old school hymn singers that's going to be available or that at the time of this recording will be available uh, at the time that this airs it will be available through Sovereign Grace Publications and listeners of the M- M121 podcast are, are familiar with Sovereign Grace Publications. We've given away a few books over the last few months from them. But if you could tell us, I want you to tell us more about the CD that's being released. All right. Well, um, every year we, we've had, we've been blessed to have um, several singing schools um, in different parts of the country. And uh, when I moved here to Georgia, uh, that put me in a thousand miles closer to all the ones that I like to attend and got to teach. And we actually added in uh, a couple of more. We added in a singing school up in Indiana. We added in one there in Lexington where Elder Ben Cordes is that you mentioned earlier, and we added uh, one in South Georgia, one in Middle Georgia, and um, so there was a, a definite desire to learn to read music and learn to uh, sing uh, new music, and then the pandemic happened, um, and as you know, church meetings and singing schools were, all, were canceled all over the place, And but I was getting emails and phone calls from uh, folks that like to attend all of those things and wanted some fellowship. And so um, I decided that maybe we could put together some small groups in a couple of different places and uh, do some little singings together. And about that same time, uh, Elder Michael Goins contacted me and had a list of songs that he needed to uh, use on Grace Alone Radio. And so the the idea of recording actually was to just to gather a handful of people to produced those few songs for Grace Alone Radio, and uh, so we got together the first time at Mount Perrin Church here in Social Circle, Georgia, where I pastor, and um, it was just a, a small, probably less than 20 folks, but we had some good quality recordings that um, Elder Goins was able to use almost immediately on Grace Alone Radio, and then there was some further interest, and so we had another recording up at uh, Rocky Mount Primitive Baptist Church in Arab, Alabama, and um, it was probably after that recording we realized we had some very high-quality congregational singing, um, and it was of some uh, substantial or historically sound uh, Primitive Baptist hymns that, that Michael wanted for Grace Alone Radio, but we also started recording some of these new songs that were going to appear in the Old School Hymnal when it came out. 
And so we decided to re- have one more recording at, at Bethlehem Church in Ecola, Alabama. And at the close of that, we had um, a substantial number of hymns and um, decided that we would go ahead and produce uh, a CD album and digital album with that, using about 20 or so songs. And um, in praying about trying to decide, I remember praying on a uh, it was either a Sunday night or, or a Monday morning, Lord, I'm not sure how to proceed with this. And then out of the blue, Michael Goins calls me and he says, I hear you've been recording this stuff uh, enough for an album. We want to produce it through Sovereign Grace Publications. And so um, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. The, the Lord really took care of that. And um, his wife, Sister Lori Goins, was a big help in post-production. And um, uh, just checking on it today, um, they're in the last stages of producing the, the CD, and the digital release is about ready to go as well. Well, that is wonderful. The Lord really knows what he's doing, and it's amazing what he will do with our lives if we just let him. You know, if we get out of the way, uh, it's, it's amazing what he will do, and it sounds like he's, in, he's, he's been in this work. And so I will link in the show notes to this episode where you can find uh, the old school hymnal where you can find this uh, CD and the digital copy of, of these recordings. So we're about to play a mashup of songs from the new CD, Return to the Beloved. And, and Brother Bryce, it's been great to have you on. It's been great to to learn more about the hymnal that I grew up on. And uh, we, we hope you'll, you'll join us again on the M121 podcast for a different subject at a different time. God bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. And I sure appreciate you um, having me on today and allowing us to talk about the, the new publication and this, this new CD. We hope that they're both a, a blessing to the Lord's people everywhere. Well, I am sure they will be. So stay tuned uh, now as we play a few of the, the hymns that you'll find on the newest CD available. Until next time, God bless you all. <laughs> 